0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Good
1: morning, good morning. So uh, I do thank John with an H, Pastor here. Um, I'm the H-less John, J-O-N, I thank him for the opportunity and, uh, and trusting, with him not here, uh, to be uh, able to share God's word, something of uh, more of who he is and uh, his journey in my life. Um, we appreciate this church. In the short time we've been here, we moved down in the end of July and uh, we uh, weren't sure where we would go and it was interesting, we just woke up one morning and we did a little Google search and uh, and this was the church that kinda got highlighted to us and uh, so this is the only church that we have come to uh, since coming to Georgia, or Georgia. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's been great. Uh, even during the first service, uh, while John was preaching, I leaned over halfway through and I said, what? has he been reading my notes? And, and as him and I have met uh, in several times now, it's just been so neat. Just the, the kinship and the, and the vision and purpose, and uh, his great depth in the Word. It, it's just been uh, wonderful. And worship, of course, and and the others that we were getting to meet. And of course, the kids uh, really enjoy the church as well. So thank you, and thank you for helping us to uh, feel at home here uh, as we've moved down to Georgia. Georgia. So, uh, as you mentioned uh, i 'm from uh, New York. Uh, the proper way to say it you can continue would uh, be Long Island, yeah New York uh, next yeah so uh, you can continue now to the where you see these handsome three boys. there we go so what i 'm uh, talking about today is I figured it in the first time sharing here uh, covenant life is. Uh, the miraculous journey of God in my life from hopelessness to hopefulness to helpfulness and uh, I never would have dreamed ever that God could have pulled somebody like me uh, out of the pit and uh, I always consider it an honor and a privilege to speak anywhere uh to anyone uh wherever that may be and uh just astonished uh, and uh, this vision that God had birthed in me when I was uh actually living in Madagascar for some months, was this concept of value and restoring value to life. You'll see that in a moment. But the idea that unless we understand uh, value, transformation will wait on a long queue. And uh, how people's time is valuable, your life is valuable. And I came to, of course, recognize that my life had value. Uh, But here are, um, if you go back there, these were the... um, three amigos. I, I have five siblings. Uh, these are two. The two on the left uh, are twins. And then uh, myself, the hairy one on the right. My gym teacher used to call us uh, ladies and germs and hairy. <laughs> and so that was me. Now, when I was growing up, I was with long hair. And of course, also the way I looked, uh, I would go to say like the carnival and I'd be standing online line. And, and then there would uh, be the person to call me up and say, OK, ma'am, you can go next. And I'm like, I'm not a, man a girl. And I would run away. And so you can tell I had some really uh, you know, strong identity issues uh, as I was growing up. But then on top of that, I was born with a cleft lip and palate. I've had nine operations, bite plates, bone grafts, you name it. I had braces for seven years. So if you only had them for a couple, you can uh, certainly be encouraged uh, there. But... Uh, the extraordinary thing that I'll come to when you when you see it in a little while is how God redeemed that all and how the incredible blessing that something like that has been uh, really across the nations. And so I have been experiencing a lot of rejection from not only inside my family, but also outside the family. And so for many years I used to be like this, it was very difficult to understand me. And I had bone graft in my mouth, and that, that failed. Uh, and you can imagine, like, you're trying to talk to people, and they're like, piece of bone coming out, and you're like, you start tearing up because it hurts. <laughs> and they're like, excuse me, you know, and you try and you know, break out a chunk of bone. And, and so then when God had called me later on, and saved me and called me, then i was like well you know lord i'm now a public speaker it'd be kind of great if people can kind of understand me more i mean especially in internationally where i'd be translating and especially like uh, for example one time in togo west africa here i am um now uh i have english then there's french and then there's a tribal language and then another tribal language all and then you got to try and keep your thought too but but you know, sometimes they would say, oh, what'd you say? <laughs> what'd you say? I'm like, oh, well, after three translations, I can't re- quite remember what I just said, but because they had a more challenging time uh, understanding me at times. And uh, so when I grew up with these, uh, uh, well, <laughs> sometimes you can say they're blessings <laughs> or something else, yeah, siblings in my house, uh, there were certainly challenges. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was four, and then... Uh, when I was five was when uh, the kind of the more uh, abuse kind of, kind of began to ramp up and where I remember my two brothers' hands were burned on the stove and uh, I was locked in the basement for uh, three weeks and they would open the door, put the food there and then uh, close the door and uh, I'd been kicked so hard I couldn't breathe and then my mom would just laugh or think I was exaggerating. Uh, my brothers were kicked out permanently. I, I, my one in the middle there. Him and I were the closest. But <laughs> inside the house, he beat me. But outside of the house, he protected me. So I don't know. But um, so him and I were a bit closer. And the only ones that got to know my dad, uh, I, I only saw him once a week for a few years. And then in 1978, he moved down to Florida. So I saw him only once a year. And so anyway, uh, he was the one that I ran away the first time when I was seven, and then by the time I was in ninth grade, him and I ran away to Florida, uh, where my dad was living. Uh, he drove, we ran away somewhere, and then he drove up uh, to New York and picked us up, and then I lived there for a year, and then I, I begged my mom at, after a year. I, I had been real lonely and, and uh, kind of more dysfunctional down there, and, and, uh, and I was, it was a lot of racial tensions, and I was beaten up a lot. Uh, I had a group of fifteen guys, and the biggest one there would just start pounding on me and and so then I pleaded with her to come uh, to come home and and she finally consented and then I, I had to sit there and, and write a, a, a three page contract of what I will do, what i won 't do et cetera i won 't tell anybody what 's happening in this house. I will not allow my brothers, they were now permanently kicked out uh, so In our house, when we were growing up, believe it or not, in New York, uh, we used to never lock the doors. And the only time my mom started locking the doors was when the middle one there (laughs) was kicked out. But uh, so, in my family, there were a lot of things that had happened. Uh, I mean, we started drinking when we were twelve. My one brother started sneaking in the bars when he was sixteen, and and uh, getting addicted to other things. And so I was a real emotional mess, a mental mess. Uh, I, I had no self-esteem. I mean, I, I mean, to ever think that I would be walking like this and, and talking in front of people, uh, I could never imagine. I mean, people uh, who knew me then can't believe the way I am now, and people who know me now can't believe the way I was then. Uh, that's how much God's transformative power and can only give all the glory to him. And, uh, and of course, if you know, I move along and I, I'm remiss to say that, that has to be up front. Uh, and center in just all the miracles he's done and what he saved me from and and saving me from myself. And uh, and then, you know, you get to the the point, okay, you can move on. And uh, so now, um, getting to the point where, uh, like here, what good can ever come out of Nazareth? You remember that conversation with Jesus? And Philip and Nathaniel when he was calling them out and here it is uh, he's calling them and just like me you can apply it to yourself I mean what good could ever come out of John Serby Jonathan Matthew Serby in Long Island New York and the family that he came from the culture or the education or the lack thereof uh, and this physical mess that he is he can't talk right I mean I would I would never walk into a full room. I forget about doing oral reports. <laughs> I mean, my my nickname was Yan Uh because I went under the step name sometimes. Because you know, when you're young, you kind of like want to fit in more, and so I would use my mother's new name that you know from my stepfather when she married after the divorce. And so it was John Bernbaum, but people would say Yan Yurkian, and. Uh, so I would walk in a room and I would kind of like pinpoint somewhere on the floor and I would kind of like scurry myself away there. And it's just astonishing. And then you look at uh, Jesus, of course, the king of the universe, coming out of Nazareth, you know, the most unlikely place, right? The king of kings and lord of lords. And, and then looking at Ephesians chapter 2, you may be familiar with uh, or not, but uh, there's a famous song now, uh, I think it's Jeremy Camp. Uh, the uh, dead man walking. It talks about that, and, and that was me. I was a dead man walking. And, and while you were dead in your transgressions, while here I was, I was, I mean, I was walking, but inside just completely dead with no hope for anything. And yet God coming to me, this filthy, stinky mess, because now I, may, now I began to make my own bad choices. And, you know, growing up and saying, well, you're an accident. Well, oh, okay, great. So I started living like an accident. And so then we look uh, when, for, forwarding on. When I went to uh, School of Biblical Studies or SBS or School of Biblical Suffering, that's where you study through every book of the Bible uh, in nine months. It's three years in one. And where we, we studied every one, and then every book, you had to read a minimum of five times. And then the smaller books, you read like Philippians and whatnot, you read up to uh, 15 to 20 times. And it was the extraordinary uh, uh, transformation, uh, what I can say, in where uh, they, they would study through the inductive method. And I came to realize that it's just not the Bible's not just a bunch of random verses thrown together. Uh, and I, I mean, before I'd be like, what? I mean, I, I got to read the whole book, in, the whole book of Matthew in one day. Well, I realized you can read it in two hours. And so, oftentimes in, in our Christianity and, and mine at the time, I w- I would think, oh yeah, you know, a blessed day, to, uh, you know, a verse a day to bless my day. <laughs> And I wouldn't realize the context. And yeah, I mean, you imagine a letter, uh, you know, somebody sends you a letter. Well, how do you read it? Well, you know, I mean, depending on, you know, your, somebody on your, your heart there, you kind of go, oh, well, I'll read the end and see what they see. Oh, I love you. Oh my. Ah, yeah. It, uh, maybe in two weeks, I'll, I'll read the middle. Oh, uh, maybe next month, next year, when I get to it, I'll read the, 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 the front of the letter. But that's how we treat the Bible. So our mindset needs to change, in which mine, I'm thankful that God had done that in me and recognized that, wow, I mean, it takes 20, 25 minutes to read the book of Ephesians, my favorite book of the Bible. And uh, so just how much he had transformed me in, in doing that school. Well, we can go to the next. Oh, here we go. So, and then this, this was the thing is like, when Jesus woke me from the dead, when he called me out and raised me at 19... I said to myself, well, with what you've done to me, who you are, who you were, who you are, and who you will be, uh, and and the revelation of the cross, how can I just sit here and do nothing? And so my gratitude back to him was saying, well, Lord, I will love you and serve you however, wherever, whenever. And obviously in my earlier years, first couple of years, I was still quite insecure. But this is one of the verses that have really stuck to me and over the years, it's just fantastic of, well, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Second Corinthians 2, 5 and 15. And then Jesus said, be a Christian, be a believer, it's interesting, my friend Doug Burleigh, uh, the son of Doug Coe, I'll mention, uh, co-founder of the uh, National Prayer Breakfast, he said, Christians quote verses, believers tell stories, and followers wear scars. And 31 times Jesus said, follow me, and follow me, and follow me. And yet, oftentimes, we want to hold on to our, our life Well, two of the extraordinary things that happened in my life were when I had this muscle car. It was actually the one previous to this, but it was my idol. It was uh, something I wouldn't let anybody touch, drive, sit on. I was a real fool, a real idiot. And one day God said, oh yeah? (laughs) You like idols? And the irony is I'm here as a result of it because... What happened was, one day it broke down, and then uh, it was in February, a lot of uh, amazing things that God has done in my life in the month of February. So here it was in February, it broke down, I repaired a couple things in it, got it, got it started, started up right away, boom, 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 i was like, wow, and so I get a little bit obsessive sometimes, so quick moving, and, and I had a sign there, please don't tow my car, etc. So... I had my foot on the gas pedal, and, of course, with my Gigando uh, orangutan reach, uh, my six-foot-eight wingspan, I went and I pulled the sign off, but my, my foot slipped off the gas pedal, and so then it stalled. And so I tried again and again, and wo-wo-wo, boom! And then all of a sudden I heard a loud bang, and before I knew it, six-foot flames were coming up both sides of the car. And so I opened the door, I ran through the flames, and then like a fool, like uh, a dog returning to his vomit in the Bible, like in Proverbs, I ran to the front, and I'm sitting here, and I'm trying to shovel the snow onto this car. I was so desperate. Then I started seeing white flames, and I got scared, and then I ran. And then as I ran, a minute later, it blew. And so I called the fire department, and they come, and they're like, hey, yeah. I'm like, you don't understand, my car's on fire. Like, okay, Charlie, go get the truck And No, 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 my car's on fire, okay, so then uh, they finally came, and then they had to foam it, and it blew out a couple times, and and then here's another time, and then I was humbled, so now here I am, I'm on a 12-speed bicycle (laughs) for six months, then I got a couple of jalopies, and then I got this other convertible, but God had rearranged my heart, and then here was a head-on collision that I uh, survived, and uh, but now he had done a great work in my heart, and freed me from this, gave me a loose grip on the things of life, and so, but what happened was I, I couldn't, uh, go to Farmingdale, this, uh, State University anymore for ornamental horticulture. I'm a professional tree climber and all that, but I was going to college for that and other things, and then I couldn't get there anymore, and so I lived in my car for three weeks. I got in a hernia and, uh, lost my job, and, uh, and so I didn't have any insurance, and, uh, there I was living in my car, and so, uh, Soon after that, a miraculous situation opened for me to, to now uh, stay in a place for a year without uh, paying anything. And so during that time, that was when I ended up at Christ for the Nations Biblical Institute. Well, and then during that time, there was this personal discipleship class by who became one of my pastors later as he uh, founded a church when that sister school in Long Island closed down. But, so here's one of the things he, he had warned people before and had them prepare. And so we were going to have, the following day, we were going to have a funeral, a, like a legit funeral. So we came to class that day, and there was this big coffin. And while we were there, uh, people brought all sorts of things. They brought their skis. They brought their old pictures of boyfriends, girlfriends. And so they, they were laying these things into this coffin, all the things that held Onto them. And one of the things that I put was actually a gold bracelet and to the dying to materialism of this world and, and letting go. And uh, so there we were. We nailed the coffin, and then about 40, 50 of us, we all walked through the property of the school up the hill to a pre dug hole, just like a funeral. And then we bear the you know, weeping and sobbing of people and the freedom and release of people and letting go of the things of the world that were holding them back. And uh, so during that time when I was at Chrysler Nations, uh, it was very shortly there, that was 1990, there was a founder of People for Missions who came and spoke on Missions Emphasis Week. And so he was showing all these things and oh, I was crying and crying and I was so gripped in my heart And so he uh, offered a trip to Mexico, March 2nd, 1990, uh, about 29 years ago. This March will be 30 years ago. And so I ran and I signed up. And they weren't gonna let me go because they didn't know, because I lost my job, they didn't know uh, how I was gonna pay for tuition, let alone go on a trip. And then the Lord provided miraculously through that. And so then I went. And out of that uh, is now one of my, uh, he's my best friend, uh, Eric. And then he became the son-in-law of the pastor, uh, who went, who was one of my professors, Dennis Bambino, and and became a spiritual father to me. And but when I backtracking, when I was 19, when I came to church, it was a Methodist church, and my pastor he was kind of like, well, in the Northeast, especially a lot of liberalism going through uh, the Methodist conference and. So depending on who you talk to, he was either the black sheep or the white sheep. I mean, for us, we were considering him the white sheep. <laughs> and so it was kind of more middle of the road, not like ultra charismatic and not like low line, you know, liberal uh, evangelicalism. So uh, that was where I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19 and, and how him and Leslie, so Randy and Leslie, they took me in and they believed in me when I didn't even believe in myself. And how they gave me opportunities and they entrusted me and they gave me a key to their house. And uh, little did I know what would happen. So now I went to Mexico and I died in Mexico. The old John Serby really died. As I was now walking into this life of greater life than what I had through greater poverty than I had. I thought I was poor. I, I mean, we were on food stamps when I was growing up, and my mom would make me knock on the <laughs> Catholic church doors and uh, get checks, and we were always going to one supermarket and, and uh, uh, writing a check, cashing it, and then putting it in a bank so it didn't bounce, and, and then we'd have to steal these proof of purchases off of boxes to try and get money, you know, just dollars and dollars uh, from the you know, companies. And, and so, uh, so then that was beginning of the journey, of God calling me out, and when I was uh, after the surgeries, and then right before I was living in my car three weeks, I was staying actually at this couple's house who was the youth advisors before I became the youth director, and uh, I woke up one night, and it was a youth, uh, youth youth on the mission, that's many years I'm part of, but uh, World Vision, and they were having a telethon, and they were showing about the children in the world, and and I, I cried, and I wept, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to sponsor a child. And I'm like, you gotta be joking, <laughs> I am nothing. And uh, he said, yeah. And so by faith, I went and I sponsored a child, Maria Noberta Yoke from Guatemala. And with the little uh, seed of faith, I said, well, Lord, uh, you know, you imagine how small that is. Well, you divide it in four pieces and take one. That was kind of like my faith at the time, so small, uh, almost microscopic. And I said, well, if I can go to her country one day, Lord, how amazing that would be. So fast forwarding just a little bit, within six months, I was out of the country. Within a year and a half, I was in her country and never looked back since then. And the Lord has taken me, or you can continue. Uh, So here is March 1990, a young little whip snapper. And so now the Lord has taken me to more than 50 countries uh, of the world in which I've lived in, and served in, and you uh, can continue. Uh, then, of course, after 37 years in 30 countries, I uh, met my princess from uh, deep recesses of India, and then, of course, our super uh, munchkins. Yeah, chasing elephants, and a little Adonia was in mommy's belly at the time. She's in the way back there. And uh, so, uh, Sorry, if you can go back a couple of slides, um, serve. Where it says serve as the king as a sacrifice. So, in my life, I was really convicted because I think, oh, you know, people kind of pat me and they say, oh, you know, you're sacrificing so much, and and uh, and then I feel, oh, well, yeah, you know, I, I've given up a lot, you know, and but you know, it's worth it, and uh, it's amazing. i do it again, even though there have been challenges, and then. I was really convicted one day, and it's like you know, with it, you imagine the kings of the world, where people would be so um, honored to serve the king, like I'm serving the king of England or whoever, maybe somebody better than that. But uh, anyway, you get the point. But then when we serve in Christianity as a follower of Jesus, we go like, oh, you know, I gotta serve. Oh, yeah, what a sacrifice it is. But actually, that should be the greatest honor and privilege, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? And so, are we committed to our own life and self, or are we committed to Him? Uh, now, in Romans uh, 12, here in the next one. So, here's what I want you to do God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now here is interesting in another version: is His living sacrifices, right? So my friend, the founder of that organization, he said, "Well, it's great that we're called to be his living sacrifices, but the problem is we're always trying to get off the altar." <laughs> so embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture—that sound familiar—that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. What is eternal? You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its levels of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. Amen? And develops a well-formed maturity in you. And then my next one, my dear friend Scott Caesar, founder of Men's Discipleship Network. Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Get brainwashed today through the power of God's word. Then I was ordained in 2001. Never thought that would ever happen. And that was the same year that I also founded... uh, Bridgestones International, and it was awesome because these two pa- pastors of an independent charismatic church and a Methodist church uh, co-ordained me together. It was so incredible, the journey. They, they co-officiated they co- uh, ordain, uh, sorry, officiated our wedding and uh, dedications and whatnot. Such a great uh, testimony. And then 2005, I published uh, Where There Is No Leader, Tag You're It, and uh, being with Michael W. Smith, and uh, Max Ocato and others, uh, just an extraordinary thing uh, to happen. And, and then the next one, during that same time of his film, Second Chance, that I was able to go to that premiere, was also, I don't know if you recognize any of these people, Steve Saint next to me is the son of Nate Saint, who was with Jim Elliott when the five missionaries were killed in Ecuador. And Mikiani, the one who killed his father, is right there in the middle. And they were premiering, and it was an amazing honor to be able to sit next to them during their premiere of the end of the spear. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. The end of the spear. And so that was him. Imagine them walking around in Walmart. And uh, obviously, he doesn't look like he's from this place. And then the woman at the cash register goes, Oh, well, uh, well who are you? Oh, well, I'm the one who killed his father. How extraordinarily the Lord is using them in the area of forgiveness. And now, when when I was at our wedding, we had about three hundred and fifty people from our wedding. We our first two weddings were in India, uh, same woman, <laughs> and the same woman for the third one. <laughs> and so we were there, and and I wept as I was there with my best friend Eric uh, in the hiding in some room there, and I just saw cars after cars coming and just wept and just going, God, I just feel so unworthy. I mean, just an amazing thing of what you could do through anyone's life who said yes. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, I was in the front, and then my bride ma- Imagine this. Another miracle is that my father and mother were walking down the aisle on the left and right side of her, uh, that they were in the same room together. It was a miracle. So uh, anyway, as they came forward, I, I felt inclined to, to take the microphone and I addressed them. And I, I said, Mom and Dad, now everybody in the audience, they all knew my testimony, where I'd come from, what had happened to me. And uh, I said, I just want to let you know that uh, I love you. And there were things in our life that were and that there weren't. But I respect you and I honor you and I thank you For giving up your freedom to bring me into this world, not knowing what I would become. And in spite of that, and then now because of that, hundreds of thousands of people around the world have been touched and transformed and have gotten to encounter their Creator, their Savior. So thank you. And obviously, it's only through the power of God and the Holy Spirit to be able to have a heart, to be able to. Uh, and then capacity to forgive, and so uh, you know the, the extraordinary testimony of these guys. There's um, a couple of his natural children, and then the other one on the far right was the actor who played McKeonie when he was uh, uh, younger, and then of course uh, the little boy was playing Steve when he was a boy uh, during the movie. So this restoring value to life concept came uh, as a result of this, and. How many doors have opened through this, and from military in Sierra Leone to schools in China and other places where they would give you one opportunity to say the word God. Sometimes they wouldn't at all. But now, how God has just opened door after door in universities and wherever I've gone with this. And, and that was why we uh, named our second child Sierra, Sierra Destiny, after the wonderful Sierra Leonean people of West Africa where I have a real close place in my heart and, and where I was flown in by the UN and uh, invited by World Relief to uh, share with uh, a couple of days with some intensive <clears throat> uh, working through conflict resolution, etc. Uh, with 400 ex-rebels and ex-combatants. I don't know if you, you're familiar with uh, Tears of the Sun with Bruce Willis or... Um, there's another one, I can't think of the top of my head. Uh, oh, um, Diamond, uh, Blood Diamond with uh, DiCaprio. So that is a lot of what I've experienced in the aftermath with a lot of the rebel takeover of Sierra Leone. And, and then I was invited to <clears throat> speak to all different uh, military installations uh, throughout uh, Sierra Leone. Uh, just extraordinary how God has used that and bursting that while living in the jungle in Madagascar, leading a team of uh, 15. And uh, so this has been like the paramount verse uh, in my life, uh, life verse, in doing to others what you would dream, hope for, aspire for them to do for you. In uh, Matthew 7:12, how uh, how so many people around the world have a need right here and right out there have a need to encounter jesus and you think of uh how comfortable we've become in our own life in our own world and yet trying to somehow picture ourselves in that world that life of somebody out there who's saying would somebody just come and reach me out of my pit would somebody just come and bring healing to me and hope and uh and then my dear friend Ann Beavis, she had said, You can serve God and not love him, but you cannot love God and not serve him. Well, we can get away with it here on earth, <laughs> but then we'll stand before God. So then here was the journey now in the 90s where I served aboard the Anastasis, the mercy ship, for seven years. And uh, so going through a lot of uh, West Africa and Europe, Scandinavia, sailing across the Atlantic, sharing with the uh, East Coast and vision and whatnot, and to get more volunteers, and uh, the extraordinary journey it had been. And uh, here's one of the girls that I saved. Her name is Fifi, uh, who was, <clears throat> excuse me, who was a Sierra Leonean refugee. And next, here are some surgeries life-transforming, life-saving surgeries. Uh, And one of the girls, Edo, I was was able to help save. Uh, This was actually my surgeries here. Uh, Imagine some of these people, they hadn't been touched in years. One woman hadn't been touched by another human being for 10 years until one of my colleagues had put their arm around her before she had the surgeries. She had a, a pierced earring infection and then developed into these nasty, huge keloid tumors and how she broke in the power of God's love just by an embrace. See, sometimes that's all what it takes, isn't it? And then of course, the transformation of her surgeries. And so the privilege, if you go back to there, my surgeries, uh, Dr. Gary Parker, imagine this, coming from what I've explained so far in that journey from who I was, and then going all the way, how God planned, designed, that I would go on the other side of the planet. And he would give me the greatest privilege of having surgery, my final surgeries by the greatest maxillofacial surgeon in the world, Gary Parker. And he's one of the most humble, uh, top two humblest people that I know on this planet. And he's the one who arranged it all. Uh, It was so incredible. And that happened in 1994 in February. Then, prior to that, Prior to knowing about Mercy Ships in 1991, this family, uh, Robin and Joe Lazatera, they, they felt led one night to pray for me. And I've been supernaturally healed a couple times by them in the, in the past. But this time, the father started to cry, and he said, I feel like the Lord's gonna heal your voice and your mouth. And little did I know, two years later, I'd find out about Mercy Ships, they're doing a YWAM training, and then I'd end up on the ship, and then months later, uh, how God orchestrated it. And the morning of my surgery, uh, I, I, I was weeping and weeping, and I, I'm like, Lord, what are you trying to show me? Well, one is you'll experience the most physical pain you've ever felt in your life, <laughs> that was true. I couldn't sleep for a week. I had to relearn how to breathe and swallow, and I lost 20 pounds. I was thinner than I am, plus I had to lose 20 pounds, so I had to drip into me, and, and so uh, anyway, but it, the most profound thing, you know, my grace will carry you through it, but the profound thing was, John, I want you to consider it as a privilege to identify with my people that are suffering in Africa. I thought, oh God, yes, whatever you want to do. So here is me uh, teaching in the, uh, the uh, military. And, uh, and then here's a, a boy, Savaka, who was born like me, and his name meant hair Imagine every time you hear your name, You're identified with your defect. And uh, so one morning, there was another girl, uh, Amida, 12-year-old girl with severe crossed eyes. (laughs) And one morning, we're living 20 kilometers in the jungle. I wake up my translator. I'm like, Victor, Victor. My heart's like racing. I just feel the inclination to do it. I said, hey, Victor, you want to go for a run? (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, yeah, sure, Johnny, sure. All right. So, him and I, we ran 20 kilometers out of the jungle through 21 foot bridges, too long to explain. Uh, then we had to walk through a river, well for him it was like this, for me it was like this, <laughs> and then we had to drive two hours to Tomatov just to see if they could have a surgery. And then we had to do the same two-hour drive through the river, and then run another 20 kilometers in the same day. So I ran 40 kilometers all through this uh, experience to see if they would have surgery. And uh, we were able to have surgery for him, and uh, his parents had prayed the, to change his name, and, and uh, I had the honor that they, uh, they chose to change his name to Jonathan. And I was able to hear it the first time, uh, the last time that I saw him. And then Amita was able to have surgery, but not there. She had to have it in the capital, and so her father went. And I found two, two weeks later, after I lunched, left the country, and Victor uh, emailed me, and he said, John I just want to tell you because I met the father there he came he had left the family he was a Muslim uh, and then he had put his hand on my lap and he said thank you for showing me how I should have been treating my daughter so anyway two weeks later after leaving the country Victor tells me that he came to know Jesus and so so awesome and then here is another a former militant Muslim from Kashmir who used to make bombs and kill people and uh, I met him through me doing a seminar in northern India. He had fled the country, and then he uh, was—he met this woman in Kathmandu, and I'm not sure picture is coming, but uh, yeah. So then, what happened was he went to the seminar and found out I was there, and he was so touched by it, and he said, "I want to wash my wife's feet at our wedding." Now imagine a former Muslim from the Indian culture to wash his wife's feet. And it was extraordinary. And I was able to be there They arranged it for when I was going to be teaching in Kathmandu. And uh, they weren't all talking about, oh, how wonderful you look, how nice. They were all talking about the astonishing thing that he had done. Um, Now, of course, I wasn't married at the time, but, of course, I had to certainly follow that example. And many people go, oh, is that an American custom? And I'll say, no, actually, I'm not that good. (laughs) The creator of the universe the king of all. He came down to his dirty, broken humanity and washed their feet. So how dare I consider myself beyond doing such a thing? And so, of course, not just a one-day act, but a lifestyle. <laughs> and then, of course, the wonderful journey of uh, being uh, attacked by baboons in South Africa. As my friend uh, Brian, terrified there. I was on the seat next to me. And my friend's camera went off when the baboon came in and uh, all the screaming and chaos and how fantastic so you can have these great experiences if you want to go to africa so in 2001 i started bsi bridge international was restoring value to life and leadership Uh, and then here's kind of like been my poster child uh pavi who i saved she had an accident head injury in front of my house her father was drunk they were on the same bicycle and then uh uh, took her to get fixed and uh, saved, so then she came back, I brought her back to the slums, and that's what began me working in various slums in India. And she's been the number one student, first generation, literate, first generation knowing Jesus. She's been the topper in all her classes, and then, of course, then with Sina coming in the picture and us getting married, and then her being a wonderful part of that as well in her journey, and then going all the way to graduating engineering college, and now she works for Goldman Sachs. And it's too much to tell you, but the painful, extraordinary journey that she went through, and this is a revelation that she had where it's been a revelation for me and transformative, is uh, some of the greatest miracles in life come through suffering, don't they? And of course, Jesus, the pinnacle example of that, of the most extraordinary suffering and, and how much she considers that the greatest miracle in her life. That she had that accident and all the miracles what God had taken her to and through. And she was nine years old at the time. And here she was. She was my translator for going to many of these families. And she talked about being immersed in discipleship and learning uh, in an accelerated rate. And now she's carrying uh, 40 or 50 kids herself. It's so awesome. And we just had the great privilege of being there in July. And I was able to uh, officiate her wedding and uh, how awesome the Lord is. And then here are some more people with medical camps, which Sina has uh head in the different places that we've been. And so here it is, taking people, uh, literally their lives being spared and saved uh, and healed. And then we uh, co-pioneered uh, King's Kids School and Children's Home for 1,000 children where there's 500-day students and then the other will reside there. That is uh, our vision. We have a bit over 100 children there right now, and rescuing children who, uh, of course, are in the pit or uh, they're orphaned. They need to be rescued from something and to give an extraordinary hope, and especially for the girl child, how awesome it is. And I'm, I'm so thrilled, and, and I was so thrilled at John's message on uh, women in ministry the other day and, and how awesome as a man to be able to be a voice for the voiceless, especially in many cultures in the world and to have the passion and the vision to speak the truth of God's original and continual intent for women. And, uh, and then of course, there are many waiting still to be rescued. And now here is the, the other extraordinary thing that I never expected, is how God has used the tool of a camera uh, and of course, for many years, I was kind of in denial. <laughs> people say, you're a photographer? No, 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 no. I just like to take pictures, inspire people, and so on. But when I moved back to the States, when we got married uh, 14 years ago, uh, 5,402 days ago, I like to count the days, yeah, not just years. Uh, that Every day should be special, right? And all the days of Adam were, let's say, all the years. So anyway... So uh, just being able to have the extraordinary opportunity of using. uh, So I went professional in uh, 2005 when we moved back to the States. And how the Lord has used that, like, for example, in bringing uh, CBN uh, photos to show the extensive uh, uh, relief needed for the flooding. And uh, here now in the last seven years plus being involved with the National Prayer Breakfast with uh, presidents, like, well, my involvement has been now with, uh, with Obama and Trump, and uh, Doug Coe, who was the co-founder, a dear friend, uh, he had passed away. He was known as the stealth Billy Graham, and there's no leader, dictator, king that he has not met with, and how the many miracles you'll never hear. Uh, this is him. He had, uh, there's Adonia on the left there, and he had written a welcome letter for Adonia coming into the world, and gave a deep Jesus Teachings book uh, to her, and, and we kind of framed it and sent it back to him. Just an extraordinary man and his wife, Janice. And, but interesting enough, as he died the same day, or Billy Graham died the same day as, uh, as him, and how many miracles, wars averted because of the cedars activity and him, cedars as in uh, overlooking in an Arlington, and you would be so encouraged and inspired to recognize the miracles and miracles happening in Washington that we never hear about and uh, the privilege to be a part of that. And uh, so being a part of the National Prayer Breakfast and, for example, a friend of mine, Jim, who introduced me to Jim Rosebush, who had been Reagan's uh, executive assistant and the chief of staff for Nancy, where he wrote this book, True Reagan, to be a great read, but uh, I was able to bring him back into the Washington uh, White House arena, and there's Uncle Ben. Yay, Uncle Ben. So uh, just a great man showing what really made Reagan great was his life with Jesus and the example that he set. And, uh, and then one of my all-time uh, heroes, Rick Warren, uh, and, of course, his book. If you haven't read it, the best first line you'll ever read in any book, uh, it's not about you. <laughs> And so it was great to meet with him and chat with him, and some of these great uh, thoughts about you must care about what God cares most about, and seeking first the kingdom. Like oftentimes, what we do in life, we're kind of like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, I'm going to go to this school. Oh, I want to marry this. Oh, oh Lord, where are you? Where are you? Oh. (laughs) Instead of going, well, Lord, what do you want? Where do you want me to go? Is this right for me? And then I love what he talks about being a successful day. And he made it so simple that when I kind of in my part of my mantra, if you will, is when you're waking up, and you're going to bed. A successful day is, well, Lord, did I come to know you a little bit more? Have I come to love you a little bit more? Have I been a bit loving more to somebody else? And how how awesome that is! And what faith goal do you have in your life? And then here is just. Uh, quick through. A few of the people that, again, what God has done and where he could take, I can never dream of any of these things. But I was the personal uh, life manager for the daughter of the Godfather. You know, Al Pacino and those guys. <laughs> she happened to be our neighbor. Uh, but then their family wanted me to do a special uh, photo thing for their family and the Oscars. Those things are heavy. Holy cow. <laughs> They're like 40 pounds. Anyway, there's a uh, fellow Georgian. woohoo, Kendrick. So photographing him a couple times and, uh, on Holyfield, Daryl Strawberry a few times, uh, Mariano Rivera, uh, Lauren Green from Fox News, uh, Stephen Baldwin. And so through this and my journeys, uh, all to be able to just share, it's all about him and what he can do with a surrendered life. Uh, and I've traveled more than uh, a million miles don't know how many after a million, but in just about most (laughs) phases of transportation, and more than uh, 800 different beds, or lack thereof, or quasi-beds, and of course the challenges that come along with it, uh, being in war zones and having these funky things happening on my hands, and being sick, and finishing my book, for example, where I thought I was going to die, and immobile for three or four days, totally isolated, and, uh, but yet, so worth it because of him. I've been held at gunpoint four times. I've been under house arrest in Guinea at the border of Sierra Leone. Uh, threatened more times than I know. Uh, and then also, of course, the betrayals. Anybody ever been betrayed? <laughs> I mean, just this past couple of years of being betrayed in half of our uh, uh, work in India and having to let go. And, but here's a great uh, thought is that we meet people? Well, when we meet them, they're one of two things. They're either a lesson or a blessing, a blessing or a lesson." And just like Paul said in Acts 20:24, 20 "I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the fantastic gospel of God's grace." And in 2 Timothy, towards the end of his run, I have fought the the fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there are many who may live and say, well, you know, I've got tomorrow. I'll just put it off, I'll, I'll do that, I'll get to that, I'll go there. But I believe the devil's favorite word is tomorrow. If he can always convince us that tomorrow will come, then we'll not Take that step and how awesome to see in Acts 13:36. Now David, when he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And I hope that each one of us can find that way in knowing that we fulfill God's purpose in our generation. So if our family or Bremen or George or the world were duplicating of me, what condition would it be? Who would they know Jesus to be by seeing my life? we can live the easy life or the complicated life. We see here, here's a picture we found in Long Island. There's a house. It's beautifully decorated on this side. Oh, imagine the hours and days that it took them to do that. And then you look on the left side, they have these big lights like this, and they just say ditto with an arrow. <laughs> so what life do we want? An easy believer or follower. And of course, I would be remiss to say that we all need somebody. I have had extraordinary privilege of having many people in my life who have helped to shape me and to help me to become more like Jesus. I'll finish with this. So when I was in South Africa, I love, you can probably tell I love a little bit of adventure. So imagine here's a bridge the Buchukran's Bridge, not the Brooklyn Bridge, but Buchran's Bridge in South Africa. And I'm sorry the fonts are a little bit off, but I'll tell you. So I went to do the world's highest bungee jump, which is in South Africa. And it's 648 feet, or 216 meters. So now you go out there, you're in the center, under the carriageway, and then they harness you up, and then there's two guys that kind of hop you to the edge. And then uh, there's 4,000 beats a minute, boom, 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 trying to get you accelerated to you know, get motivated to do this foolish thing. Um, so, so I had these two guys there, and then they do this countdown, 10, 9, 8. And meanwhile, in my mind, I'm going 10, 11, 12. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you got that expression. You know, if somebody told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? Well, yeah, of course, I can say that. But. So anyway, so I'm, I'm standing there, and now in that moment, that was interesting, they put the harnesses on, uh where the bathroom is not where you register (laughs) i'll let you figure that out so anyway so then you get the harness you're on there and then and then you go to do this jump but you have it was amazing this instructor said fear is temporary and regret is permanent fear is temporary and regret is permanent now you think about it. I have that in that choice, that moment, to say, Well, pff, it's too much for me. I can't handle it. My fear is overwhelming me. It's me, 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 me. I mean, might be wise at that moment, maybe. I'm not saying jump off a bridge. But you take that and then apply it in our lives. And how often is it because of fear, like wonderful Scott Caesar is great where he penned it, is the root of fear is actually pride. And so. Here it is. It was that guy, Joe, who really needed some help, but in fear of what might happen, I didn't help him. Or, oh, I had that word for you that God wanted me to speak, but in fear of what you might say, I didn't give you that word. It was someone who needed a desperate help, and I just couldn't put my arm around him. He smelled too bad, he looked too bad whatever that may be in our life. And so God's great challenge to us is to not allow fear. I mean, even like John said it brilliantly, it's not the absence of fear, faith. But it's even with the fear, you walk by faith and not by sight. So God bless you. Thank you for um, giving me the opportunity. And thank you for following Jesus.